don't you stick that thing up? Let's start with that this morning. I'll just let you read it. There's a hundred different versions of the story. The one I heard first was about a Cherokee Indian and a young boy and, you know, which one wins? The ones you feed the most. <coughs> I'd like to read just a few verses from, well, these are all verses that you probably know. And the issue that we're going to look at this morning is not un, um, unfamiliar, but I think it's important for us to look at these things sometimes again. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, you can probably all recite it off by heart. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then if you go over to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, after Paul has spoken um, around a whole lot of different issues to the Philippian church, um, this is his summary section towards the end of the letter that he wrote. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He reiterates this command to celebrate God, as the message says. And then if you go to the letter that he wrote to the Thessalonians, the first one that we, we call 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 5, um, at Bible college we had to learn um, a verse a week off by heart. So for the first, well, I don't know if it was the first three, but, but three of my verses were verse 16, 17, and 18 in 1 Thessalonians 5 because it says, rejoice always. I thought I could manage that. <laughs> Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, about three months ago, after one of the Sunday services, uh, as is usual, we ask if anyone wants prayer. And someone approached me after we prayed for others. And he said, won't you pray for me? Um, these are his words. I want to feel joy again. I have lost my joy. And so dutifully, um, I prayed with him and we chatted and off he went. Um, I checked on him about six weeks later and it seems my prayers were answered. No, <laughs> he was in a, a better place um, at that point. But it, it, it made me stop and think again about how we um, we're willing to ask God to do things for us, but are we willing to do what we need to do? And so I started to rummage around uh, for what people think about joy and how do you, in a secular sense, how do you deal with this uh, sense of uh, low-grade depression or gloom that sort of envelops the world at the moment with not only COVID but Ukraine and I mean I don't want to list all that other stuff but that's for a lot of people you see we have this sense of we know it's going to be all right in the end because we know the end of the story 
But don't forget that people who don't know Jesus don't know how the story ends, the story of life, of the world, and that it looks really dismal, and they live with deep sense of fear and anxiety and, and often depression. And, and so when you start looking at various different areas, there are all kinds of places that are giving prescriptive lists of what it will do, what you need to do to have joy. And I have two full-scale pages of bullet points of notes that I made of various different websites and, and individuals and books and stuff on what you should do for joy. Here are some of them. And, and I want to, um, you need to, to, to listen carefully because there are two different kinds of themes. Be creative, try something new and pay for it. Um, seek out awe. <coughs> do something kind every week. Now, these are not Christian sites, okay? Do something generous every month. Put some money aside to be generous to somebody. Not on their birthday, apparently. Watch a good comedy. Increase social connectedness. I'm just picking out a few. Volunteer somewhere. Grow something from seed. Change your mind. Um, Wear something bright. And, and the list goes on. I won't bore you with so many of them. But it strikes me that when I started thinking about this, that there are all kinds of prescriptions for joy. And, and, and I'm only using joy as a means to an end this morning because it was highlighted in this praying for someone. The question is, how much of this is what God does and how much of this is what I do? Because I purposefully read the Galatians passage first, which says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, and then the list continues. But what Paul writes to the Philippians and to the Colossians and in other places is, is a command to rejoice, a command to joy. And early on in my Christian experience, I was exposed to a man named Merlin Carruthers, who wrote a whole range of books on joy. Um, Rejoice in the Lord always was the kind of theme of everything. And, and um, in his books and in the writing and what he was suggesting was that it didn't matter what the circumstances were. It didn't matter what faced you. We are commanded to rejoice, to celebrate God. And so when he got a flat tire, when there was illness in the family, he says, I, I rejoice in God. And the things that happened in his life as a result of that were remarkable. And if you read the stories that came out, and then he became like the lightning rod for for, for rejoicing in, in life. And people sent him stories and he wrote books just with the stories that he got. And it was almost as if you do what you commanded to do and things will turn out okay. Now that's what, he, he wasn't actually saying that, but in a sense, that's what came across. As long as you do what you have to do, God will sort out the rest and he will do everything that's necessary. And it's true, but it's also not true. 
That's the trouble. It's not just quite as simple as that. What is God's part and what is my part? Why am I commanded to rejoice? Why am I told that I should have joy and I should live joyfully? But at the same time, it's a, a fruit of God's being in and part of my life by the Spirit. I used to go with my dad to cricket practice, uh, both the provincial team that he played for and for the national team. And I would get dressed up in my boots with the studs and my, my flannels and my jersey. I was neither a member of the provincial side, nor was I a member of the national team. I would go down and, and there were times when I would bowl a little bit or bat a little bit with them and certainly I would field with them, do catching practice. I was dressing up and I was playing. It was aspirational. I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to follow in his footsteps in one sense. And he included me and he brought me along. And I was nowhere near as good as they were, obviously. I remember uh, my dad was coaching uh, the university side the one day and I was there and we were, I, I was there early with him. So I was padded up, I had my back and uh, he was bowling to me. And I, I, a beautiful cover drive, I must, I must tell you now, it was a fabulous shot, and I got no praise for it. He said, your bat was too far away from your body. Keep, keep it close to your pad. And I said, no, no, it was a good shot. It was a, it was a decent, sounded fabulous. You know that lovely feel. Leather on willow. He said, keep it near your pad. Let's try that again. And he came and he bowled the identical ball, just slightly differently. And it whipped between my bat and my pad and took out the middle stump. And he said, I said to you, keep your bat closer to your pad. <laughs> I, you see, I, I really wasn't up to scratch. But I was learning. I was, I, was, I was on the way. Now, another letter Paul wrote. I'm going to read uh, from the message. Colossians, chapter 3. And it's from verse 5 through to, well, let's read to verse 14. And he's talking about the old life being dead and the new life. He is our new life. And here's the crux of it. That means killing off everything connected with the way of death, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. Let me just say at that point, we have made definitive lists out of the lists that Paul wrote, whether negative lists like this or positive lists. And really what he's doing is he's just 
pulling things in and saying, all these things, all the things that you know lead to death, kill them off. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But you now know better. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. So he just adds a whole lot more stuff in there. You're done with the old life. And here's the thing. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. We've got so used to in our Western culture that something gets slightly dirty and we whip it off and put it in the machine and we can wear it again tomorrow because we've got a tumble dryer and, and Bob's your auntie. But when you come from uh, poorer cultures, so you will find that in cultures where they don't have running water or electricity on tap, washing clothes is a massive problem. Dirty clothes are the order of the day. It just, and so you get to a stage where you just, it smells. And what Paul is saying is that when there is this crude sense of death it stinks and you take off those clothes and they're irredeemable you throw them away we're not trying to make those clothes any better he's saying all these things that are part of your old life burn them get rid of them take them off throw them away now you're dressed in a new wardrobe and here here's the paradox okay he says, when we are in Christ, we are dressed in a new wardrobe. We already have a new set of clothes. When we are in Christ, which is one of his favorite words, when we are in the family, we're given a whole new set of clothes. What are those clothes? Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious, irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized, uncouth, slave, and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God has picked out for you. So he's saying you have a new wardrobe, you are given new clothes, but you have to dress in it. You have to put on these new clothes. And then he lists a whole list again. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all those other things. He says, put that on. And that's why when... Paul writes to the Colossians, when he writes to the Corinthians, when he writes to the Philippians or the Thessalonians, he said, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Because it's our responsibility to put on the stuff. We have to begin to dress up. 
there is a really good couple of chapters in C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, where he talks about pretending. In some senses, you've got to pretend. I got dressed up in my flannels and my boots with my lovely cabled cricket jersey and went down to the national team practice with my chest out here as a 13, 14, 15-year-old. I was pretending. I wasn't close to making the grade at that stage. But I was practicing. I was learning. I was beginning to throw away the old habits of batting with my bat out here to batting with my bat right next to my pad. I was becoming proficient. Uh, it, was, it was becoming part of who I was. And we are called to practice by rejoicing always, doing all the stuff that we ought to do. C.S. Lewis makes a really interesting point about the Lord's Prayer. And I won't go into detail about it, but he says, we are taught to pray our Father. He said, that's a big pretend. Is he our father? He is now. Yes, he is. But are we the sons that... And, and so he goes on to say that God is also pretending in some sense. He's pretending that we're all okay. But he's not pretending because here's the paradox. Yes, I have to do these things and I have to do it with all my heart. But he already knows that I'm going to mess up and that I don't get it right. But there, there's this strange thing that happens. There is an interaction that happens that as I begin to practice these things, he is in me. The power of God, the life of Christ is in me. And somewhere in just like hints in the beginning, it becomes who I am. Not just something that I'm doing. It's different for all of us. Because my pathology, my brokenness is different to yours. What God is finding out and sorting out in your life is completely different to what's going on in someone else's life. And sometimes things go really rapidly. And sometimes it seems to take forever. Because it's not about any mechanical thing. That if I do this... This will happen because it's about our relationship with him. So in my dressing up, in my pretending in that sense, in my being disciplined, in my practice, somewhere in there, I begin to change. And it becomes more about who he is. And that fruit is manifest in my life. Patience is another one. Everyone jokes about being impatient. But as we learn to be patient, as we are patient with God's, if you like, dealing with the people in front of us, our spouse, our children, our Christian family, as we, as we extend them and practice patience with them, we become patient people because somewhere in that process it becomes not what we are doing but who we are being do you understand what i'm saying this morning good 
because sometimes it looks a bit blank. Yeah, that's fine. So when it comes to the wolf issue, it's not quite as simple as just what you feed. The wolf you feed the most wins. Because it's not, it's not just a simple black and white equation. But what Paul calls us to, and what Jesus says, I have told you these things in, in John 15, where he talks about all the things that he has spoken to them in this last passage before he goes to the cross. And he said, I've told you these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. What happened is, and this is what provoked me last week with what Ian said, is that how had they managed to be with Jesus for so long? And he, he was the one who sent them into the storm. He was the one who was going to walk past them. And at the end it says, and their hearts were still hardened. They were still not getting it. We don't. That's the problem. And so what we have to do is we have these commands. Love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. It's a command. Are we loving when we start out? Not necessarily. Are we, are we full of joy when we start out? Not necessarily. So we are called with all these things. We are commanded to begin to behave, to dress ourselves in this stuff. And at some point in the whole journey, it becomes part of who we are. And so Paul often writes and he says, don't give up hope. And there's the thing, is because when we are challenged and we get to a pl place where we fall again, we have to get up one more time than we fall down. And we will have to keep doing that until we get home one day. But the hope that I have in me is that the life of Christ is being formed in me and becomes visible through me in the way that I am. 